Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in the Seminole Rap Podcast here on the Tomahawk Nation Network. I'm your host, Brian Peller and Juan Montalvo, John Marchant here as always. Guys, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I know we've been meaning to get around to it. I feel like it's been the, the lingering conversation in the back probably about a month now, I guess, as we've been talking, recruiting, probably going back to the, the Travis Hunter episode even, so maybe two months, but uh, NIL. And we want to take this time to really just, just jump into it, kind of framework what NIL has done, I guess, over its first year in NCAA football, the impact it's had on recruiting, what that will likely mean for Florida State, and how how that maybe puzzles the way the program can climb, and and what the expectations are long term, what needs to be done, what is being done, what can be done to kind of make this program fit into what college football is today. Of course, many you know, obviously NIL stands for name, image, and likeness, where the athletes are now allowed to profit off their name image and likeness and you're seeing the impacts of that in recruiting but many will say you know what's the difference from what we normally would see with paying athletes and all those sorts of things but um, I guess just broadly to start it off with what do you think the impact of NIL has been one year in Um, I know we've seen recruiting kind of change quickly but uh, I, I guess everyone kind of expected this to change recruiting drastically, and I feel like it maybe has, but also at the same time, maybe not as much as we thought. I don't know. It's it's a kind of a weird mix. Um, I I think it's changed the landscape of college football significantly, um, in my opinion, because uh, at first you're not really sure. And I know I used the term the Wild Wild West several times. Uh, we've, we've actually seen that um, echoed by other people, too. So I, I don't think I'm alone in feeling that way. But I think it's changed the, the landscape of college football significantly. I feel like 80% or give or take of winning in college football is recruiting. And when you change the game of recruiting so substantially, it's it's going to change some things. There's going to be some, some effects down the road that maybe we didn't anticipate. One of those, I think, now that we've had a year to, to kind of look at it and see what would happen, um, I think that <sighs> – I guess one paradigm shift that I'm kind of interested in is the fact that, you know, programs like say Auburn who are used to speeding in, in, you know, going 70 in a 55 under the table, you know, I know Auburn's house is in order, but when you're used to doing things a certain way, now everything's above the table. It's out in the open. Right. I think that changes things. Or for a program, like maybe a little bit jumping ahead of myself here, a program like Florida state who's used to quote unquote, maybe like pinching pennies, now everything is not only it's just above the table and it's 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 a mad arms race to see how high you can go as fast as you can go right we're seeing that the few programs that have all of the money it's like alabama georgia texas a&m things like that maybe even um ohio state obviously um those programs they're just shooting for the moon right they're they're taking all the money they have and just dropping on the table for as many recruits as they can and so i kind of feel like at the same time the sport is trying to, but then just denied going to a 12 team playoff um, until 2026 at the earliest. It, it's kind of really solidified though, that top group, right? So the elites in college football, that circle, I think has maybe, or will get even smaller over the next couple of seasons. So 
that's my big picture view of it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good development for Florida State at this time, but that could change in the future. Uh, so I, I'm not really hopeful as a Florida State fan uh, for the short term prognosis here, but that's I, I, I'm not here to say whether or not I think it's a good development or a bad development for the sport. I just want to note that this is how I feel like it's changed. I think that's very fair. I mean, it's changed obviously significantly. Like you said, uh, all these things were happening before under the table anyway. Um, let's not pretend that Eddie Goldman came from from uh, D.C., Maryland area all the way down to, to Tallahassee just, just because of the vibe of the 2011 Oklahoma game. <laughs> um, he got there on, uh, on you know, he got to, to, to Tallahassee twice. One of those was paid for as an NCAA official visit. Um, as we talked about before, virtually any blue chip that has serious competition, especially in the Southeast, anytime they visit your campus and it's not an NCAA official visit, you're paying for it. And if it's an official visit, you're paying a whole hell of a lot more for it because it costs a lot of money to get one of those, those uh, official visits from those guys. Uh, but as far as, you know, funding the trip, those kids don't go to campus on their own uh, very often. It's not those upper echelon kids. I mean, maybe, you know, going back a few years, PJ Williams, who was a low end four star who committed super early, didn't take many visits elsewhere. Sure. A couple of those kids that were four stars weren't getting money to go on some of these visits, but let's be honest. Anytime one of these kids steps foot on campus, there's some money involved in some way, shape, form, whether that's to a handler, um, or to the kid themselves or a consortium of handlers and kids. Uh, it can get real dicey uh, at times. Um, this probably improves a lot of that system. Um, you really, you know, this, this term gets thrown around in modern politics a lot, but you get a lot of grifters in the, in the whole system. You know, the seven on seven coaches who were notorious for, you know, being a ride to campus, you know, they, they didn't pay for their gas money sort of thing. And I'm sure that it probably originated 40, 50 years ago. I don't know exactly how, when these sort of things happened, but, you know, a coach probably called a, a high school coach and said, Hey, bring your whole team in, you know, we'll take care of your gas at your hotel, you know, under the table, make sure you get taken care of, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to the last 12 months or so since NIL has taken effect in most parts of the world since July 1st, uh, uh, 2021 for a lot of places and before then uh, herbal for everywhere really uh, and before that for a few other places and it's completely changed the landscape um, just messing around before the show I, I went on to uh, Jordan Travis's fourth and 14 you know his website for that he has his own official apparel store you couldn't do that two years ago um, and obviously fourth and 14 is a commemorative of the Miami game specific moment. He's capitalizing on that. Good for him. I saw some dude around town uh, this weekend wearing that shirt. So you have good things like that, where you're going to see athletes getting more support than they were getting before. Um, and, you know, that's the wholesome aspect of it. Um, but then you get to, like you were saying, John, you know, we're going 70 and a 55 and everyone sort of has to keep it under a hundred or the police are going to go, you know, the, 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 the Wawa car is going to get behind you and start blaring sirens. Um, now you're on the auto block. You can only go, you, you, you go as fast as your operation is able to let you go. 
And I mean, you know, you 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 talk, you can you hear about the thirty million dollar slush fund for Texas A and M. Somebody now saying ten million approximately. Um, someone did some you know cost benefit analysis of it. The limit on this is going to be when you get to the point where <laughs> the value of a kid, as far as you know, uh, over uh, over replacement, is going to be probably your limiting factor. I mean, you know, you're only willing to pay for a plus two win type kid, for example, which let's say that's a mid mid range four star. Plus plus two wins over the course of the career. I don't know. Let's say that that's what they they amounted to. You're not going to pay twenty million dollars for that. I mean, you know, you're 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 not going to pay twenty million dollars to go to get your car to go from 115 to 117 miles an hour. You know, there there's going to be a natural market limit that they get to. Um, I think that Texas and I might already be there. They may be going <laughs> past it, um, but uh, I think you're going to see that Florida State. You know, they just don't. They can't put all the modifications on the car to get it to go 190 miles an hour. Um, A&M's going 250 miles an hour. I mean, using the car analogies, they're they're still trying to find every little edge of the speed. And I think that's where Florida State's going to get left behind is, you know, you don't have (laughs) uh, shadow ADs, which is a good thing, but like at a place like Auburn where you had like three different booster ADs effectively running things and, in the nineties, two thousands and, you know, Cam Newton era until all that happened. You don't have that organization infrastructure at Florida state. You don't have that level of money. You don't have uh, a 150 year old college that has uh, endowments and has had a following for a hundred years because their football team started at 1921. It's just Florida state. It's part of its natural handicap and Florida state's growth really was very fortunate to come at the same time as cable sports came into vogue. So, I mean, Florida State has done very well given its relative youth as a program, as a university, and its and its um, uh, the general money situation, I suppose. But I think you're going to see, you know, the, the Autobahn continue to get a little bit away from us. And, and, and on your point on the, the Autobahn, yeah, you know, I, you mentioned the, you know, five plus million or, or, you know, Bryce Young before he made it to Alabama's campus, Nick Saban was leaking that or leaking. He was saying that they, you know, he was getting a million dollars in deals, which obviously was a recruiting type pitch, but I could see, you know, if you're out there listening, you might roll your eyes. I mean, a million dollars for a kid out of high school. I mean, they're not even paying pros that, but I, but I would say, you know, something to consider is the, in the grand scheme of things, the pro players are limited to a salary cap. So, so to take this to that autobahn, like we talked about to go beyond us, speed limit there is no cap you know if you're a school who just you know i know jerry jones backs the the arkansas his his razorbacks if he just wanted to dump all that money into there and just build a roster with all the money he could there's technically there's really nothing to stop him um so that's one part of this i think that's interesting with the paying of players that there really is no limit to it uh the ncaa just on friday uh their board of directors the d1 got together and said that they, they're going to review how the policies have, have impacted athletes' choice, saying they're seeing, uh, you know, players pick different schools and it's impacting mental health and they're worried about booster involvement and the, the potential NCAA recruiting violations it's caused. I, to me, that just sounds like putting a, trying to put everything back in Pandora's box. I feel like it's opened already. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is that they think that they're going to try and do, so I would just recommend ignoring that one. But 
when all that comes back to Florida State, I just I worry for the program. And, and obviously, you know, it's not my realm of expertise compared to you guys, but that that source of money and where it comes from, because, I mean, if you look at ideally where the money would come from, it would be the revenue from your TV deals or whatever you're, or I guess it'd be the revenue you bring into the program trickling down to the players in theory. Obviously in this system, it's supposed to come from outside businesses. Um, but I imagine we're on this collision course where, where that money is going to flow downhill. And I just don't see, you know, you're, you're at a disadvantage in the ACC where your, your school's not getting as much money. Um, because I mean, just looking ACC, the schools on average, on their current deal get about 17 million a year. The Big Ten supposedly has a billion dollar deal lined up. The SEC schools are getting 44 million a year. I mean, that's a big gap in, in the amount of money that the TV deals are bringing, which again, isn't directly tied to this NIL type thing. But I think as we see that, the ability to keep up in the recruiting realm with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resources, I guess, you know, facilities and being able to spread that to everything. It, it, it really, it puts a strain on the amount of money you can have as a program. Yeah, I think, um, look, the the world, because I'm old enough to remember, I think it was around 2008 or so, Joe McKnight, um, rest in peace, he was on Hard Knocks, and they all had a joke about him that he had to take a pay cut to go to the NFL from, from USC. <laughs> and everyone laughed and snickered, all the other stuff. And then a few years later, you have Ken Newton, there's a big scandal comes out after that. How much did Auburn pay for him? 200, 250,000. And then like you're talking about, we're talking a million dollars for an athlete or or uh, there's an NIL deal that was announced a couple of days ago. I think it's Caleb Williams now, a USC transfer from Oklahoma. He, he's got an NIL deal with, I think, a real estate private equity fund. I mean, this is, this is we live in a completely different world than we did just, just a few years ago. And, and to your point, because I, I feel like the sport's in a, in a certain amount of upheaval, right? You, we just got through Greg Sankey, the, the SEC commissioner, stealing underneath everyone's noses. Texas and Oklahoma from the big 12. Right. And then trying to sneak in through a mini commission, expanding the playoff and all these other, you know, a couple of the conferences switched to new commissioners. They're new. He tried to take advantage of the situation. He wants to turn the SEC into a quote, the, the, you know, Europe's premier league for soccer. He wants to do that with college football. And then this is the environment that NIL gets introduced to. Right. And, I think the SEC really tried to take advantage of that. And I think all the new commissioners, including Jim Phillips and the ACC, tried to pump the brakes and say, you know, wait a second. We want to, you know, pump the brakes, take a, take a boss, take a breath, and really try to assert more control over the future of the sport. And so I'm not, I'm not sure that NAO, I think it's a positive, wonderful development. But like we talked about here, there's no guardrails, right? There's no, there's no system of laws. The NCAA vacated all of their authority and their power at setting any kind of agenda or getting a bill passed through Congress. Um, some people I know on Twitter, some, some national sport pundits have disagreed with that. They feel like there's nothing they could have done. Um, I don't really agree with that. I think that they could have gone along with it instead of trying to basically take a 1970s approach and then get railroaded as they deserved in the NCAA versus Alston case that was decided last year. So I, you know, I think, um, I, it's just a wild time to be a college football fan. The sport is changing very rapidly, right? And we don't really know where it's going to end. I know now the NCAA Council 
They just met a few months ago and they're talking about breaking away, right? Creating a new level instead of division one, two, and three, or, you know, FBS, FCS, they're talking about creating a new division with the power five, right? Breaking away because you have the haves and the have nots. And then back to your point, Brian, to kind of bring this full circle is I agree with you. We're seeing the heavyweights and the powerhouses. They're going to, they got heavier, right? They have more power. They're going to lean on everyone else. And I kind of feel Florida State maybe sliding towards closer to the have-nots, even though they're still one of the 12 most uh, valuable football programs in the country. So, but when you're talking about only five or six and they're going to, they're going to have all this money, nearly a limited amount of money, they're going to throw it around. They can take any of the recruits that you want. I do think it's an interesting dynamic that Juan had brought up about the, you know, kind of law of diminishing returns. There's only so many blue chip kids you can get, right? There's only so many, so much money you can, you can put out before a kid, you know, maybe they want to go somewhere else. But, and I think FSU is fine right now, even though they're still trying to dig their way out of their hole that, that got left by Jimbo Fisher and Willie Taggart. But my concern is what does this landscape look like 10 years from now, right? Where, where is Florida State as a program 10 years from now with the differences between the TV ad revenue, Brian, that you talked about, and then NIL and all the other stuff. So I, I'm really concerned. I'm not saying I'm panicking, but I am concerned long-term. Now, short-term, I think FCU is okay, like I said earlier, but long-term, 10, 15 years down the road, we don't know when the, the Power 5 may split away or how that'll work. Um, I think I think the creating a new division is something that would happen before they actually split away from the NCAA, from everything that I've read. But it almost seems inevitable at this point. So I... I know that Florida State, or I believe that Florida State would be included when they split away, but I'm looking for, in the future, what I'm hoping for is if and when they do split away, we maybe see equal revenue sharing among all teams. And I don't believe that we're going to see that because there's no financial interest in it for the Big Ten or the ACC. But in altruistic, utopia kind of way, that's what I would like to see the sport go to. I think that's how it can still survive and thrive. But in the end, money wins and and the sport's all about money. And when there's money involved, people are greedy. Yeah, it's a very good point. I mean, you 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 know that Florida State's been at a disadvantage, obviously, financially for a long time. Um, there's still not a football-only facility that Jimbo Fisher was harping on since, you know, virtually the day he got there. I mean, since they broke ground on the, uh, on the IPF, the, the football-only facility was basically the next priority. And they're only just now redoing locker rooms as we speak, literally. Um, that'll be ready for spring 2022. Uh, so Jimbo's been talking about that facility internally for probably over 10 years. I mean, since long before that. I mean, so Florida State, from a financial perspective, has never had that level of support. And I think that's going to sort of put a ceiling on the program. I mean, we've talked about a lot here. and You know, it's been discussed ad nauseum in, in, in college football world, but 50% blue chips is sort of the, the mark that you need from a recruiting perspective to compete for a national championship. I think FSU and most of those other teams outside that, you know, truly elite five or six programs that, that you, that Brian was talking about earlier. Um, I, I, there's no reason that a handful of teams can't get to that 50%. Uh, but I think to be able to compete for the top 10, 20 type kids, that you know the the game changer types, the Travis Hunters of the world, the Arch Mannings, it's going to be virtually impossible for for a team like Florida State to compete 
at that high of a level. Um, and don't get me wrong, you're going to run into situations uh, like, let's say, uh, Mario Edwards or Jameis Winston, and both of that 2012 class, 10 years ago now, wow. Uh, <laughs> but both of them just happened to have a really good fit. I mean, Alabama wasn't a good fit for James Winston because of baseball. Uh, Mario Edwards was, you know, uh, an alumni, or not an alumni, a legacy. So you're going to have situations like that, especially with the age of all of the alumni that Florida State's had that have gone to the, through the NFL and been fantastic players and all that. There's good genetics in play for Florida State from that perspective. Um, they certainly wouldn't, wouldn't seem to have the advantage in the long term, at least um, for financial things. I'm sure in a one-off scenario, for example, let's say uh, in 10 years, Jameis Winston's son is, is 18 years old and uh, probably needs someone more beloved than Jameis. Uh, but let's say, you know, a, a really, truly beloved Florida State player, Devontae Freeman has a kid and he ends up being a five-star all-world type player, you know, sure, you might be able to compete on that basis because you're able to say, okay, these guys will get together two million collectively and focus it on this kid. The problem isn't necessarily the top one or two kids. It's the top 10 kids in that class that you're, go- yeah. you're trying to go after. That sixth, seventh guy, you're not going to have enough gas in the tank to get that million dollars for that sixth guy or whatever it is. So, sure, they'll be able to you know, win a handful of battles, probably get that 50% blue chip, and probably compete for national championships. But to see Forest State recruit at the level they were doing in the early 2010s, Jimbo's early tenure, and how Clemson is now, Clemson, A&M, Bama, Georgia, all are now. I think those days are unrealistic. You know, you're probably not going to see four years like the early four-year recruiting stretch Jimbo has, if in with the with the current landscape and the way it's going for Florida State. It's just it's unrealistic uh, from from the NIL side of the financial perspective, from the actual football facilities and all those sort of issues. The the conference issue, you know, giving up more than twenty million a year of revenue to your regional neighbors, brutal. I mean, it's twenty percent of your, or tw- roughly twenty percent of your budget. I mean, or your spending at least. So it's, it's. It, it, I wouldn't say it's grim. Florida State certainly, I wouldn't rule out another national championship, but it's certainly a lot harder road than it was as of ten years ago during the last national championship. Uh, and I think that sort of goes back to the Autobahn analogy. They're going to be able to go 150. Maybe 150 is good enough in one of these years. But for the most part, you know, you've got guys going 170, 180. Well, yeah. And I think I think a real difficulty for, for Florida State in this aspect is we've talked about it before. They like to be a very well-rounded athletic department. And, and when you when you have to reach into these resources, you know, you it's difficult to field a very strong football team. I mean, you're talking, you know, you just mentioned it. If you need 10 kids in every class, you're looking at 40 kids, basically, uh, ideally. And even then that's, that's maybe too deep, depending on how, you know, position ways, the way it lays out. I mean, in that scheme of things, it's, and then if you're trying to support a baseball program and a softball program and a, uh, you know, soccer and basketball and, and all the things, it becomes, it stacks up quickly and it is difficult as opposed to maybe a school like Duke. And I know Duke isn't exactly a poor school either, but you know, if they're going to take their, their money and just funnel it into basketball, it's a different game. 
Yeah, I think um, sort of going on that, though, I, I kind of disagree. I mean, I think Florida State, you can talk to anybody who follows basketball closely at Florida State, and they'll tell you very quickly there's not money there. Um, if it weren't for Leonard Hamilton, who he is as a coach, able to, you know, take 500 different seven-foot-tall dudes and, uh, who have never shot a basketball before and turn them into all ACC players, you, you wouldn't have had near the success that they've had. Um, you know, they've, they, they have – the 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 Tallahassee Leon County Civic Center, Donald L. Tucker Center, whatever you want to call it, it's. I've been to job fairs there. It's not a it's not a basketball arena built for basketball, and it's it's a low quality arena in many ways. Um, even with the redoing the seats, that's all the work they've put in basically in the last hundred years, at least since I've been in school. Um, so I mean, they're not putting money into basketball. I mean, in baseball, Mike Martin was not exactly the best paid coach. I mean, the, 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 they do like to make sure that the, the, the other programs don't starve, but it's not like they're being put, they're putting golden platters out there. You know what I mean? Sure. But I, but I'm saying, I guess the, you know, I mean, what happens when Leonard retires? I mean, he is 73, you know, what happens? Oh yeah. But, but I'm saying like, you're going to see if you're a Florida state fan and you, you pride yourself on the ability to, to go clean across the board. I think it becomes a point where, I, and I'm talking college college sports overall too, and I don't think it's just a Florida State issue. But it, there's eventually going to be a point where you can't. There, there's just got to be a bottom of the of the bucket on the money. You know, I mean, maybe not at, at Texas A&M because I've got the oil. Literally, you, know, you keep drilling into the ground and find all the money you want. But I'm I'm concerned, I guess, overall in all the sports where the money continues to come from, because if you're, I, I guess, do you just decide? This is the five-year window. Let's just dump a bucket of money in it and hope we hit gold. And if we do, then it'll carry us for 10 years. I, I guess that has to be program's approach. I just don't see how it can be sustainable. Eventually, the money is just – it can't go forever. $5 natural gas, so in Texas it can go forever. I guess so, yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, like there's, there's certain programs we're just going to have – buckets and buckets of money where others are just going to have to just like, I guess, just pick a four-year window and say, this is the year we're going for it. I, I mean, I agree. And John talked about it a little bit before that there's going to be diminishing returns. I mean, you're not going to be able to get your boosters to pony up 50, $50 million, you know, just throwing a huge number out there for your number 10 kid in your recruiting class. You're not going to have a billion, you know, a hundred million dollar recruiting class. Sure. That's not going to, that's not going to exist. I mean, I get that part, but you know, the difference, wherever that, that level, uh, wherever it levels out, I just don't know that Florida state will be able to catch up. I mean, and it, it, that isn't to say the Florida state, like I said, I I still think Florida state is going to be able to compete for national championships and make sure that they're going to have a decent roster. I just don't think that, you know, they're, they're going to be able to keep up with Joneses overall. Well, I'll tell you this. I think it's interesting that Miami certainly baking that money is enough because our house doesn't seem to be in order from from what happened with the coaching search. I know Cristobal is in charge there now, but you have a couple of rich boosters who think that or believe that they could make Miami relevant through dollars alone, um, and they're going for it. So, And I don't think Cristobal's put together a bad staff. But I think it's an interesting thing to look at and see whether or not they're, they're experimenting. Because for 20-something years now, we've said that Miami infrastructure or structurally just doesn't have what it takes to compete for titles anymore. 
And you have these couple of rich boosters who come in who are betting the other way and say that, yeah, all, all we're missing is commitment and, and things like that. So, and, and again, at the same time, the NIL comes around. So it's kind of interesting. Um, obviously, I mean, as a Florida State fan, I'm always going to watch Miami to see how they're doing. But uh, just as an overall college football kind of experiment, I'm interested to see if, if you could have a program like Miami comes in and revives itself through money, right, Brian, like you're saying, then do other programs see that and be like, well, why don't we just, you know, we have a, what, you know what I'm saying? Because it's not just like, if you look at Alabama, Nick Saban, Nick Saban is underpaid. Even if he's, I don't know what he's getting paid these days, 9 million or whatever it is. I don't know anymore. Whatever it is, is he's getting underpaid because they bring in so much money to school. You have the, the, the uh, applications for new students to attend the school, they go through the roof, right? So now Alabama becomes more uh, selective in who they, and then they're prestigious and they get more money and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. So a lot of people, I mean, that's why a whole bunch, that's why FBS is bloated to begin with, right? Because we were at, I think it was when I was in school around 2003, you had what, a hundred and maybe 13 or 117? Like yeah, division one schools. Now it's over 130. Because they know you get to Division One or FBS, then you get a lot more money in the football program and everything that comes with that. So there's always, again, it, we're, we're basically talking about the haves and the have-nots, and people are always going to want to move into the former category. And uh, I, I'm just interested because it seems right now that it's until, and I know I just saw an article two days ago, the NCAA wants to review a lot of the NIL deals and all this other stuff. Who knows if they're going to slap any sanctions on anybody? Because like you said, it's the Audubon. There's, there are no rules. So how can the NCAA come in and say, oh, well, you're going 250 in, in an area that doesn't have a speed limit? No, I mean, why would anyone listen to what they have to say? So I don't know. I, I just think the whole dynamic now is interesting. And it just seems like a giant free-for-all. So I Miami is a pretty good uh, uh, one to bring up because, like you said, they were, you know, and they and this didn't change, but they were institutionally, you know, not committed. Um, I mean, they they right. had they had an administration that you know, Donna Shalala literally tore down the Orange Bowl. Um, Julio Frank, obviously, I guess, wasn't committed for a long time. It's it, they're an interesting one because they have obviously a very prestigious, uh, they're, they're a good academic school, a uh, very good academic school, a very prestigious uh, uh, university uh, and, and hospital program, U Health. That you know, that if you're if you live within South Florida, you see U Health facilities all over. I got my LASIK done at Bascom Palmer, U Health, Health facility. So, I mean, you you definitely saw theirs is unique because I think they they saw okay. We are an exemplary program as a university in these facets, uh, healthcare, uh, institutionally, academically, blah, blah, blah. For the football and all that, you know, the sports side of it is kind of embarrassing, and we want to put a little bit more money into it. And then the, you had, because there was more commitment from the institution, you had those billionaires, uh, John Ruiz, which there's all sorts of weird, funny money involved with that guy. Um, and he's a trial lawyer, amulet chaser type uh, my apologies to those listening if they're in those chasers, um, <laughs> but the, they, they chase the wee woo van. But anyway, uh, the, uh, the, the Miami one is an interesting, interesting case study because you're going to see, like you said, John, if money can push you through, 
Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, my outlook right now is where is where Florida State is today within the ACC. I don't think that they're going to be competitive for those top classes. That said, you could see Elon Musk and Bill Gates show up in Tallahassee and say, look, we love this place. We love this football program. Let's put all this <laughs> money into it and yeah. things could change. I mean, that it really takes it really only takes one or two people. I mean, that's the situation in Miami. Um, that's the situation in a lot of these college towns. I mean, T. Boone Pickens famously basically ran Oklahoma State program. Um, the Yellowwood guy for one of the Alabama schools, I always forget. <laughs> but you you definitely make a really good point that that uh, money can change in those those time spaces. So we have to be cognizant when we have these conversations that. You know, we're talking for the most part, we're talking about where Florida State is today, where the landscape is for Florida State versus the true potential. Because, look, in 20 years, you might have two or three FSU billionaires who invest heavily in the program and you could be the next next saying it. But as of right now, you're just not there. And, and I, I guess that's what that was going to be my next question was, does Florida State currently have the money to compete in that game. I know the Miami guy, Ruiz, kind of fell out of the sky. And from what I understand, he's he calls himself a billionaire, but isn't really a billionaire yet. He's got some big deal that's supposed to come through that will make him a billionaire. So, I mean, in theory, that same type of thing could happen at Florida State. But I, 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 don't, I don't know if that money's there right now. Uh, I'm glad that we're finally talking about this. And Juan touched on this before at first. And I'm, I'm really glad that we finally got here because I know we've kind of flirted with it over the last, really the whole season in all of our, our podcast episodes, is my my answer is no. I, I don't believe that right now Florida State can do that or is there. And I I mean, I think I agree with Juan that, yes, it can. I But overall, the way that we expect is Florida State, they won a national title. They were elite. They fell off real quick, right? And then they bottomed down on Willie Taggart. They're trying to claw their way out of that hole, dig, dig their way back up. I think people are expecting the Florida State to bounce all the way back to winning 11, 12, 13, even 14, 15 games. I don't think that's going to happen. I do not believe that Florida State has that money right now, like what to Juan's point. I, I think, and this is this is the thing that I think may even doom Norvell, if he is in fact the coach that we all believe that he is, he could bring Florida State back to 9, 10, maybe even 11 wins. But is that going to be is that going to be good enough? The playoff isn't going to expand now until 2026. So you're you're probably only going to have maybe one team from the ACC make the playoffs for the next four seasons, right? And we're, we're expecting to have a referendum on Norrell after the season or at minimum 2023, after the end of the 2023 season, right? So I'm concerned that some people, the expectation is that Florida State needs to be back to 10 wins by the end of 2023, or even better, and I don't, I don't think that's realistic. Florida State in this environment, I do not believe right now, to one's point, has the money to compete where people want it to go. I think they want it to bounce back quickly, and I don't, I don't think it's going to. I mean, you can. We we've talked about it from the football and recruiting side of it. For the talent's not on the roster now. Uh, right. You are behind Florida or uh, Clemson and Miami in the ACC. And yes, you are behind Miami. Believe it or not, the, their roster is better than Florida State's, and it has been for two years, I believe, um, just based on pure stars. And if you take the development factor into account, well, neither team is developing very well anyway, but um, you're certainly not developing at, at an exceedingly good rate where you can say, oh, well, sure, we're behind Miami and stars, but we're where we develop better. You, 
no, uh, we're just not doing that. I mean, you've got a lot of really failed four stars on, on your uh, roster at this point for from, from the later Jimbo and early Tiger years. Well, only Tiger years. Uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think your, your ceiling is definitely not as high as fans may want it to be. And I think you really need to have that context when you talk about four state football and, you know, we obviously try to be realistic as we can here. Uh, you know, we, at the end of the day, look, I, I went to Florida state. I'm a fan. I want to see Florida state win, but you got to be realistic about it. I mean, this is not a team that's going to win a national championship in two years. They just don't have the talent. I mean, you, the, the all-time recruiting class that Jimbo Fisher had this year, if Florida state were related or to have landed that this year, they'd still be below 50% blue chips on the roster. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in one recruiting class. It wouldn't even have happened with one all-time recruiting class. So you've got to just bear in mind, Florida State is, even if if we were on a t- in a 10-year-ago time frame where Florida State could compete for national championships regularly, you know, at the level that you want them to, they are, you just can't get it in one, two years. So, I mean, this roster, you really have to evaluate Noel Bell more on what has he done with the roster to improve it, and in the context of what the ceiling for Florida State is at this point, because you are not in, in the NIL era, at least in this early stages, especially with the uh, legislative hamstringing you have that doesn't let the school organize NIL deals for Florida kids uh, or for Florida schools to organize it for the kids. You're, you're hamstrung financially, you're hamstrung uh, from a, 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 a legal perspective, you're just not going to get to a 14 win type team in two, three years. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, going back to a previous episode that we had, you know, I'd set the benchmark in this past class for Norvell to get to 50% blue chip. He didn't meet it, but, but I, he did improve the talent on the roster. So Florida state is still going in the right direction. And I was kind of disappointed that, you know, we didn't see as many staff changes that I thought that we might have seen. I know he changed a lot of the back end. Um, the back house kind of staff as it deals with recruiting. Uh, so he obviously thought that that was the issue. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, he didn't think it was on, you know, on the road recruit, uh, recruiting uh, coaches or whatever. That was the issue there. So we'll see how that, you know, shakes out. But I, I feel like this coming season, you know, you're looking at, you got to get 53, 55% blue chip. And, and to your point, I, it still not, isn't going to get Florida state over 50% blue chip. Right. So, and then you talk about NIL. So even if, even if, Norvell was consistently bringing in, say, 50 to 55% classes. How many seasons are we talking about before you can say, oh, well, Florida State may now be a national title contender, right? Because you still have to cycle out all those Tiger tiger classes. And then you have to take into account the context that programs like Alabama and Georgia, who are winning titles, they're around 70 to 80% blue chip. I mean, they're just playing, like we were talking about in the Slack group the other day, Alabama's playing a completely different sport than everybody else. And and Georgia and Ohio State are right up there too. So, and then you take an NIL, it's just, I don't even know where to go with that. I just, I'm uh, not optimistic. I guess I guess say less than hopeful is probably the phrase. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and so sort of, it, we're, we're basically piling on at this point, but sort of going on what you're saying, um, the last recruiting class, 2022 recruiting class, does improve the talent on the roster. But here's the problem. 
your 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 blue chip percentage in 2021 roster was 34 percent you know what the high school blue chip percentage was of the 2022 recruiting class 35 i mean if you uh if you get one percent better each year i mean shoot might not be too bad when my grandkids are watching watching the team (laughs) yeah Yeah. I, i i I, and I know we just got super hopeless there, I guess, in pounding <laughs> on it. But I, I, So then for me, the thing is the way out and, and the path I think Florida State has to find itself on as everything in this sport seems to be super sped up. Obviously, it's finding a billion-dollar owner who's just sitting around or, or, or a booster who's sitting around waiting to hand their money over to someone else and just loves them some Tallahassee. That would be ideal. Um, but I think more, more realistically and, and maybe more importantly is making sure whatever this next mutation of this sport is, you're lined up and ready for. You know, if it is a, a you know, we've talked about the Power Five breaking out, but I mean, what is, I mean, I understand you need, you need USC, but I mean, do you need the rest of the Pac-12? You know, what, what is the Big 12 at this point? Do you, do you need Oklahoma State? Do you need Kansas? You know, I mean, I, I is could, the, is, what does anyone need in the Big 12 anymore now that Texas and Oklahoma are gone? Right. And so when at that point, it, if it becomes like, you know, I mean, do you I mean, obviously the Big 10 is a power, but do you need Rutgers? You know, like, do, does they get to the point where the, the bigger schools get together and say, mm, let's just let's do our own thing? Like like Juan kind of mentioned the, the or uh, like John mentioned, the Premier League in, in Europe, they the Super League they tried to build where they just said, you know what? I don't need the Premier League. I, I don't need La Liga. Let's just all get together and do our own thing. Florida State has to be ready for that possibility, for the possibility of maybe the ACC just not being it for them. I, I don't want to go that far, but I feel like they they have to just be ready for whatever the next explosion is going to be. So I'm actually gonna. We were in the. We were. We were finding finding no love in a very hopeless place for a while there, but uh, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. Actually, I think uh, you talk about the, uh, the, you know, premier league or super league type model, uh, you know, dump the useless properties of the conferences, uh, no disrespect to Wake Forest, Miami, uh, but you dump the the bad properties from some of these smaller conferences uh, or even the SEC. I mean, let's be honest, no one gives a crap about Arkansas, um, not even the LSU fans. Uh, yeah, I mean, Texas A&M was brought in for TV markets. That's basically what it was. Yep. Texas and Oklahoma were brought in to destroy the Big 12 um, and take over TV throughout the South. And basically ESPN was able to uh, get rid of Fox. That's what it really means. Uh, Fox is going to lose a lot of power from losing those two properties. Uh, but anyway, that, that all goes to say that Fort State, is is important in the college football landscape. Look, we've talked sure. we've talked about it's not a top five program. It may be it's maybe top ten at times. I mean, but it's definitely top fifteen, top twenty, and it's one of the more successful of the last thirty years. Uh, Florida State in the interim, near to medium term, I don't think it's going to have issues in that sense. Uh, you know, you're not talking about an Army team that hasn't won in eighty years, or even a Nebraska team that's that's, you know, considerably revered in the college football landscape as a historic power, you know, recent power, but um, hasn't done anything in 25 years. Uh, 
you, you have, I think a little bit more legacy draw than a lot of other programs do. And I think, you know, being a Florida, Florida team, the, the intertwined histories with Florida and Miami, uh, it's just too, too valuable property to get left behind in that sense. I mean, it's like uh, when the Super League was happening, a couple of the London clubs that had fallen on hard times, Arsenal and Tottenham, were brought along in, in into the Super League, and it was sort of like, well, what are what's the deal with them? They're just like in the the hot city and uh, rich, but like <laughs> basically, it, it, it would be very similar for Florida State. I mean, I think Florida State would be not one of the premier teams in any of these new super conferences that were to take place, but certainly would get invited to the party. Um, I don't think, I don't think you, you have to worry about Florida state getting left behind in that sense, getting it left behind on the auto block, but you know, at least we're going to be allowed on the highway. Well, my only concern in it is, is if it's a 2026, let's say it, it happens in 2026 when the, when this current four team playoff expires, you know, I just don't – I just would be concerned if you spend the next five seasons going three and nine. And I think we expect – you know, and I, and I get what you're saying, that they're a better program than than that and still in the – but I wouldn't want to slide to where they become a – yeah, just eh, – yeah, Florida State, we got room for them. Bring them on. Bring them on. Well, here's a question for you. How many fallen football powers have been left behind? I mean, are no longer in the power five. Can you name any? No, I wouldn't think so. But I, I would be concerned. Colorado and Washington, Colorado, Colorado, Nebraska, Washington—they're all in the major uh, 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 conferences. I mean, at this, I would point, leave. I would leave all of them out if I was making a. I'd leave all of them out right now. I don't think Nebraska would get left out. I mean, I think there's too much. Let's put it this way: if if they're having the discussions in 2025 to 2030, the people in the room are going to be somewhere between 40 and 70 years old they're all going to remember good Nebraska. So that's, uh, you, you have to understand, you have to, a lot of this has to do with college football too. Like uh, it enough. is, it is such a nostalgia driven sport. I mean, John is wearing an FSU hat like right now, as we speak, I'm wearing a, 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 a Marlin shirt. I mean, I don't know why you're wearing a Blue Jay shirt, John, but that's a different <laughs> weird thing. I uh, love Vlad Guerrero Jr. Yeah. But I, as a kid, I watched the 97 and 2003 world series. John obviously watched a lot of Florida State football over the, the years. I mean, it's there is a fandom aspect to it. It's not a rational business. I mean, it's yeah. it's you know it's based on memories. I mean, you know, we, you, you I don't know what I had for lunch today. Uh, actually, I had Hobbit wings. They're very good. Uh, but good. Um, <laughs> most days, I don't remember what I had for lunch. And I can tell you, uh, the German Shepherd. The way he had, uh, attacked PK Sam in the 2003 uh, FSU UF game. I mean, th- those are memories that you have. And I remember the bar that I was in with my uncle and my my dad. I mean, it's so nostalgia driven the sport of college football, which is fun. I mean, it's why we watch it. It's not a business. I mean, it's not predictable. You have teams like LSU, uh, you know, going from absolute nothing burger to national championship to nothing burger to national championship like every five years uh it's 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 we watch this for fun i mean you, no one's listening to this podcast as a as a financial uh benefit for themselves it's what we, we do this for fun <laughs> can we can we all agree to leave tennessee behind though please yes i'm please. happy with it yeah at okay. least leave their Just fans behind <laughs> 
It's just, it's funny because you mentioned, like you mentioned uh, the powers you mentioned were Nebraska, Colorado, and Washington, right? My memories for each of them. And again, I'm 28 now as of last week. Yay. But, uh, you know, thank you. Washington. Happy birthday. Thank you. My memory of Washington is, was it Jake Browning getting clowned by Alabama in that New Year's Eve? I was, I remember being drunk on Bourbon Street on New Year's Eve and watching them get crushed. I got nothing for Colorado. And Nebraska is that they've had a kid named Martinez quarterback the team for the last 40 years. <laughs> and that's, that's all I've got. I don't know. I don't remember them winning at all. Again, there's no one 28 in those rooms making decisions, but I wouldn't, you know, if it's, if that decision comes in 10 years or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I just think Florida state needs to just get their footing, just get, get in the room where you, you're part of, you're, you're not sliding further back. Just, just put yourself in the position where people go, yeah, yeah they're respectable. Well, I mean, if you were if you're if you're 40 this year, for example, you would you would have been eight or older. Yeah. Any, so anybody in that room would have been 10 years of age, roughly or older when Na- uh, uh, Colorado and Washington were playing for national championships in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, so, I mean, you you as a 28 year old, <laughs> like and I'm saying this like I'm an old man of 33, uh, but you as a 28 year old may not have the perspective that that 40 year old does. And yeah. I don't remember when Colorado or Washington were good. Um, I mean, I was in diapers, but the the landscape of that nostalgia does matter. And that's why Florida State, I think, will never truly be left behind. Well, even to that aspect, I mean, at 28, if you made me list off the programs of the last, you know, of my lifetime who've been great, Florida State's coming the first five out of my mouth. I mean, that run at the open at the beginning of the playoff era and, and late BCS, I mean, you know, easily they're going to they're going to end up falling in the first five. I mean, they went to four national championship games in five years in the late 90s. I mean, that's I, I, think I don't only, remember those, but only Nebraska, Alabama. Yeah, only like Nebraska and Alabama in the last 30, 40 years have done anything like that. I mean, Florida State had, you know, the second best, unfortunately, dynasty now of college football history. Well, they, they still have, what, three titles in 30 years? The last 30, yeah. I mean? They're, they're not yeah. going to – because I agree with one, they're not going to get left out. But my, my concern is that if this gets delayed, right, just like all these other conference commissioners delayed, you know, expanding the playoff or, or – they can't agree on whether or not the the uh, Power Five should break away and form its own division. I think they're still going to try to figure that out. My concern is that Florida State may atrophy over the next ten or fifteen years while they figure this out. But I agree with one in the short, medium term or, or intermediate term, Florida State's fine. They will one hundred percent for sure get invited to anything. They're too big of a name brand. They're, they've won a title recently, um, too many titles recently. Like he's saying with all these all their lifetimes and everything like that, way more than most programs do. Um, but I, I, I just, again, I'm worried that Florida State may atrophy that if they do finally decide and this happens, that, that when Florida State joins this, whatever it happens to look like, they're not equipped to win titles at that point, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, or that, you know, the, the system itself continues to be the have and the have-nots or it's set up to where it's unfair that Florida State can, can not compete. And it becomes something like, when Miami was over the last 20 years, that's my concern in whatever this new future looks like. But I don't yeah. have any, I don't have any, any doubts that Florida State, they're going to get invited. Hey, we may not be the life of the party, but we'll be at the party. That's right. <laughs> and in yeah. Florida State, there's always going to be a party anyway. 
<laughs> I, I guess true. my only concern was was let's I mean if the SEC and Big Ten decide we're just going to become the AFC and the NFC that that I wouldn't want Florida State to be like no we can keep the ACC together just jump ship I think yeah, well, yeah. if they were if they were in that position I think you would see a concerted effort from basically the state of Florida for all three of the programs to be in that and that's part of why I think Florida State won't just just hopping back one second to the, the the whole Colorado, Nebraska, Washington type thing. Even if Florida or Florida State or Miami, one of them are down, their histories are too intertwined. I mean, you can't talk about Florida or Florida State or Miami and not mention one of the other, at least in that conversation. They're too, they're too close together. I mean, physically, uh, spiritually as programs, for lack of a better term, I mean, they've they've won since – 91 i guess it would be something on the order of eight of 30 championships eight or something like that so yeah I mean, they're they've all three they've are getting basically in. yeah i mean they're, they're all three are getting in and you know one of us may suck and i'm afraid right now it's looking <laughs> like florida state is more in that position um but they're gonna be at the party i mean that, there's no doubt to me and i think that right, they're well, not gonna they're not. They're not going to do the biggest keg stand. <laughs> you know, just going with that theme, and, and they're not going to do the biggest keg stand on the back of a Tesla Cybertruck going 190 on the Autobahn or whatever you want to throw together these analogies. But I don't know. I don't think the future looks too bad. No. Well, what I mean by forcing atrophying is is really I'm referencing the pretty terrible. I I don't want to use too derogatory a word, uh, but almost devastating grant of rights deal that locks Florida State in the ACC through 2036, unless they somehow you get close enough that like Maryland, you feel like you can sue your way out of it. Um, Especially in the context of all these other uh, conferences, you know, the SEC and the big 10, maybe even the PAC 12. And then also all of the professional leagues, the NFL, major league baseball, the NBA, all going to be redoing, their grant of rights and their TV deals between now and 2026, 2027. And if Florida State's locked in the ACC through 2036. And that, that's that's pretty bad. Um, that That's what I mean when I talk about Florida State atrophying. So I, I think any breakaway would happen before 2036. At least I would hope so. And you would hope or believe or think that that would lead to the ACC restructuring their deal. But I, I don't know. And I mean, if these conferences, like you're like what you mentioned, Brian, the Big Ten is rumored to be lined up for a billion dollar deal, or the programs are going to be pulling in a hundred million dollars a year each, and meanwhile the ACC is pulling in maybe thirty or forty million dollars a year, and you're talking about slush funds and NIL and and throwing all as much money around as you can with no limits, that's a big problem. And I just, I just, you know, I, I appreciate everyone going for this wild. Uh, guess college football philosophical ride then to your point one i think on the uh traditions and honor intertwining i mean you can look at the sec and the intertwining of rivalries between auburn alabama and tennessee is the reason missouri which i think is the second most western team in the conference is somehow in the sec east just because (laughs) bama wants to play tennessee and auburn every year and so we have to have them all split up in permanent rivalries and Georgia's got to play Auburn and yeah, it, it, rivalry and, and the intertwinement of it can definitely drag 
even Missouri, I guess, into some good, good things. So, yeah, I mean, all of it plays together. All of it is, is an arms race, as I think we started saying at the beginning. And, you know, whether it's NIL or TV deals, it's becoming a, a very clear picture that everyone needs to line up every dollar they can to be as strong of a program as they can be. Um, so I guess I appreciate the, the, the insight, the hypotheticals, the walking through the, the dark paths of the unknown and what could be next. I know we were kind of guessing four or five, 10 years down the road, but it's interesting. Did you not appreciate the enthusiasm with which we oh, did I, it? I thought we did a good job with it. It was interesting. And, and, the, and I, uh, the, the hope and the, uh, the absolute, uh, <laughs> The, the joyful outlook we gave. We painted a rosy picture for everyone. And I, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I appreciate y'all sticking around for us. And, and hopefully you learned something. And if not, let us know what you think. And, and you know, where you think, what, what do you think Florida State needs to do? So I appreciate you guys hanging around. Hopefully we've got some more fun stuff for you coming up. But uh, I think for now, that's a galzo. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.